0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. If I've not gotten a chance to meet you yet, my name is Tim, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, so glad you guys are here joining us today. Uh, Let me ask you a question. How many of you would say that you enjoy camping? A few of you. Okay, now not glamping, okay? Like real camping with a tent and a sleeping bag. Yes, all right, all right. So let me tell you, the first time I went camping, I was in college And we went to Algonquin Park in Canada. And so this was the last week of September, which crossed into the first week in October. And it was freezing cold. And so there was a group of us from Clark Summit that drove all the way up to Canada. And we get there, we get oriented, and we're getting all of our gear. They're giving us our our backpacks, our tents, our sleeping bags, food sacks, all that stuff. We're getting all that gear. And then they take us down to the lake. And one of our leaders grabs a canoe and brings it out into the lake, puts it in the water, and he proceeds to walk all the way into the lake up to his waist. At this point, this water is freezing cold. I mean, Canada is basically the North Pole. I'm, I'm waiting for the water to freeze any moment now. And in this moment, he has the audacity to tell us to walk all the way into the lake. I don't even want to get my toes in this water I kind of just stand there like, "Mm, not really sure. And he's like, no, everybody come all the way out into the water and put your hand on the canoe. I'm like, no way. So we walk all the way out, put our hands on the canoe, and the water is ice cold. It's freezing. I mean, at that point, I knew that this trip was going to be absolutely miserable. And that's exactly what happened. Um, it, it, was, it was terrible. You know, we're out there, we're hiking and we're canoeing. We're carrying these 65-pound canoes. We have these double packs. They weigh about 80 pounds, depending on how much gear you brought. And uh, there's one part of the park that its nickname is the Trail of Tears. Its, its name has nothing to do with anything shaped like a tear, but it has everything to do with what it's going to make you do. And it did all of that. And there's actually one trail. It's called the mother. It's the mother of all portages. It's a a three-mile-long portage of carrying a 65-pound canoe. This was the worst week of my life ever. I hated every minute of it. And then I found out that there was this thing called solo day. And I was like, oh, tell me about solo day. And they're like, well, you go off by yourself for half the day, with just your Bible, your journal, something to write with, your water bottle. And I was like, awesome. No hiking, no canoeing. My feet aren't going to be wet. I'm not going to be cold. They're like, no watches, no knives, no lighters, uh, no food. I was like, fine, no problem. I just don't want to hike or carry anything or be freezing cold anymore. I was looking forward to this day. Like like I wanted that rest day, I wanted that day off, I wanted that time to to recharge, to reset, to reconnect. I was looking forward to having dry feet for once, and so then that night came, and we got this epic snowstorm. I mean like the craziest snowstorm of all, it just, it trashed our camp, it collapsed all of our tents, and so... Typically, the night before, I would take my wet socks, and I would put them in the corner. They were made out of wool, and I had these fishing pants that unzipped at the knees. I would take the bottoms off. They were made out of like polyester blend, and all of that stuff would would be dry or mostly dry in the morning, and then I would get my clothes out for the next day, what I was going to wear, and all of that had this freezing cold snow piled on top of it because of the tent collapsing, and all of my clothes were now wet and cold. I was absolutely miserable. I hated the trip. I didn't want anything. I wanted to be done. I wanted to go home. I was so sick and tired of this. And then we had to go and and hike. There was no solo day. We had to hike completely out of the park that day. And so there we are carrying our, our canoes and our packs, and the trails are trashed. Stepping over trees that are like in, inside of the trails, on, over top of the trails, everywhere. It was just a nightmare. I hated it. I felt like this was the worst trip of my life. And it was like every single thing that could go wrong went wrong. Every time I thought there was going to be a glimmer of hope or something that was going to get better, it got worse. And have you ever felt like life is picking on you? Ever felt like everything that can go wrong, will go wrong, has gone wrong, and there's something else in the hopper waiting for you? As soon as this gets a little bit better, this next thing is going to come, and it's just trial after trial after trial. Well, that's what we're talking about today. How do you deal with trials? And I know many of you, I know many of your stories, and you wish a camping trip was the worst trial you've had to face. I know many of you have lost loved ones. You've lost your parents or you've lost children or you've gone through messy divorces or you've just gone through these situations that have been brutal, they've been gut-wrenching and it's been one trial after another, after another, after another. Well, today we're looking at the book of James and we're gonna deal with that question. How do we deal with trials difficulty. So if you have your Bible, go to James. If you don't, we're going to put the text on the screen behind me. While you're turning there, let me tell you about this this newer social media app. It's called Be Real. It sends you a notification, and it gives you two minutes to respond. And, and when you respond, you open up this reel, and you take a picture of the front and the back. There's me and Aaron from Vestal, staff meeting, um, me and Edmund, uh, there's Josh Jones. He's obviously being real. And so the idea behind this, this app, why it's taken uh, so many people's attention, is because they love things that are authentic. This is a, a no filter, no edit. In fact, if you retake a picture, it will tell everybody you retook it twice, three times, four times, and so you're sold out right away. This is the idea that they want something that is authentic. Everybody, well, maybe not everybody. Most people want something that's authentic. We want authentic food, authentic relationships, authentic technology. We don't really want the fake stuff. And James is talking about authentic faith, and he's he's writing this letter to a group of believers, and he's saying you're going through all of these challenges, all of these difficulties, and he lists all of these different areas of life, and he says here's how your faith connects to these areas of life. James, by the way, is the half-brother of Jesus. And so here we are, James chapter one. Let's start reading in verse two. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives it generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And so take a look back at uh, verse two. He says, consider it pure joy. I mean, whatever you're going through a trial, (laughs) consider it joy. And he doesn't say if you go through a trial. He says, whenever you go through trials. That means they're going to happen. It's not if, but when. Every single person faces trials and difficulties. And he says, consider it pure joy. And that word face is the idea of of running into something or bumping into it. You didn't even go looking for it. It just showed up. I mean, isn't that like trials? They just kind of show up and you're like, where did this come from? And James says, when that happens, take a different perspective and go, I'm going to consider it joy. He's not saying fake it till you make it. He's not saying just put on a a happy face or put away all of your emotions. Those emotions you feel are real. The hurt, the anger, the disappointment, the worry, the overwhelming sense that comes into your mind. He's not saying just pretend to be happy, but, but consider it. It's an accounting term. It's, it's calculate this as joy. Why would I do that? How on earth would I do that? Take a look at verse 3. He says, because, here's the reason. You know that that testing of your faith produces something. It's going to produce perseverance. So as you go through the trial, as I go through those trials, as we face those difficulties James is saying, take a look at what this trial could do. That when you face it, not if, but when, you should look at it and know, okay, God is doing something incredible in and through this. That word perseverance is the idea of standing up underneath it. I can bear up underneath it. It's not going to crush me. Yeah, it feels like it's crushing me. It feels like it's never going to end. I wish it would be over Yesterday, but God says, you know what? You can consider it, you can count it pure joy. And the reason is not because you love it, not because it's fun, not because you hoped it would come into your life, but because it will produce perseverance. So today, I want to give you three reality checks of. Dealing with trials. Here's the first one. My values shape my evaluation. As I was going through that wilderness trip, what would you say one or two things would be that I was valuing? Warmth, comfort, pleasure. I wanted things to go my way, I wanted dry feet. Those were the things that I valued. Those were things that I wanted. But if we begin to value the things that God values, like perseverance, or we value becoming better or growing in our faith or becoming mature and complete, or we begin to value perseverance, we'll begin to take a different look at that trial. That difficulty is going to be hard. It's not going to give up. In fact, it's going to be relentless. And sometimes, oftentimes, those trials just keep coming and coming, and they get stacked up one on top of another, and it seems like it's never going away. What do we value when we're in the midst of those trials? My values will shape my evaluation I was evaluating that camping trip according to my values. I wanted to be warm and dry and comfortable, and I wasn't. And then obviously, we ask questions like, hey, why why is this happening? Why me? Why now? Whose fault is it? And all of those questions, all of those evaluating questions are aimed to do what? To change my circumstance. But you know what? So many times we can't change our circumstance, but we get to change how we respond to those trials. We get to change how we respond to those difficulties. Take a look at uh, the next verse, verse four. He says, Let perseverance finish its work so that, here's the reason, that you and I would be mature and complete not lacking anything. That you and I would go through those trials, you and I would go through those difficulties, and through that, if we lean into it, knowing that God is doing an incredible work, he's going to use that circumstance, he's going to use that scenario, that situation, to grow us, to make us more complete, to grow us in our faith, to make us more mature, It's perseverance. It's helping us grow and mature. And it's kind of like, you know, God uses all sorts of trials and difficulties and he uses those as the tools. He uses trials and he uses difficulties to begin to shape who we are. They're not fun They're not something that we would hope for. We wouldn't script them. We wouldn't choreograph them for our own life. But often, God uses trials as these tools to begin to work in our life. And sometimes, it's a hammer. Sometimes, it's a chisel and a hammer. And he begins to work over and over and over in our lives. And sometimes... He's using that hammer and he's using that chisel to take away things in our lives. He sees ways that you and I need to grow and he sees ways that you and I need to mature and he begins to say, hey, let me, let me take that from you. Let me remove that from you. And he begins to work and chip away at these things because he knows what we can be. And slowly over time, he's chipping away and he's taking away those things. He's making us better. Here's what Romans 8.28 says. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things. Later on, Paul's going to go on to say, that that good is not things going according to your way or my way, but that good is being conformed to the image of Jesus. And so God, in his goodness and his kindness, will put you and I in situations that are hard, that are difficult, and he'll begin to use those to conform you to shape you to the image of Jesus. And sometimes it's people in our lives. He puts those people on your lives and they can drive you nuts. And sometimes he puts scenarios in your life, situations in your life. It might be the person in your homeroom. It might be the teacher down the hall. It might be your boss. Sometimes it's even your marriage. God allows you to be in that situation. Sometimes it's the workplace. Sometimes it's the economy. And he just keeps using that over and over and over again. And it feels like you're just being hit and poked and smacked over and over and over again. And the reality is, he's using all of those things to shape, to chisel, to mold you, so that you and I would become more complete like Jesus. And he uses those trials. He uses those difficulties. Those are the tools. It's it's a classroom. It's a course that God allows us or puts us in. And there's no way to clep out of it. You can't study up and get the Cliff's Notes. You can't jump over that. You can't move away from it. It's going to be in the curriculum. So James says, let perseverance take its way in your life. James says, let perseverance finish its work so that you and I would be mature, so you and I would be complete. Trials are gonna come. Trials are gonna happen. And you and I get an opportunity to either lean into it and go, okay, God, what might you be doing? Instead of asking, why me? Why now? Whose fault is this? What if we asked better questions? Like, what is true about God? God is loving, he is kind, he is gracious, he is faithful. What is true about God? And then ask yourself, what's true about me? I'm not saying that this difficulty is your fault. Oftentimes it's not. But look look at the response to that. What does that response say about me? I want dry feet, warmth, comfort. I want my way And then what if I asked, okay, what do I need to do? Based on who God is, based on what's true about me, what do I need to do? How do I need to change this response? Because I can't change the circumstance. I can't take it away. But what if I leaned into it and I began to evaluate it differently? Here's the next reality check. My difficulties are a pathway to my development. Those difficulties... Those trials, those circumstances, those scenarios, God is using all of those in your life to develop you, to make you more like Jesus. I know sometimes you hit these trials and you hit these difficulties and it seems like there is no redeeming quality in them at all. What do we do then? Here's what James says in verse 5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives it generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. First, we tend not to see trials as something to rejoice in, but we see them as something to avoid. I get it. I'm not saying we should be signing up for for more things to make our life harder or more challenging. But when they come our way, and they will, how are we going to respond? One of the ways James says is, you know what? You can actually go to God and ask for wisdom. God, you know this is happening in my life. I have no idea how to fix it, how to change it. I have no idea how to respond. James says that God has an abundant amount of grace and he wants to give it generously. So often our prayers are, God, get me out of this situation. God, fix this. God, take this away. God, change this over here. God, change this person over here. But what if we begin to ask God, God, can you give me wisdom on how I should respond? How do I deal with this right now? How do I, how do I, how do I grow in this situation? God, I need your wisdom. He says, sometimes you ask, but then you doubt. You don't really believe it. The greatest enemy to answered prayer is unbelief. Take a look at at verse seven. He says, that person who doubts, that person who doesn't believe, they shouldn't expect to receive anything. Why? Well, verse eight, he says, they're double-minded. Such a person is double-minded. It's like when when you try to teach kids to swim. You know, I'd be in the pool. I'd be trying to get my kids to, to jump off the deck to me, right? Now, there might be some good reasons why they might not trust me. But I'm telling them, jump. I'm going to catch you. And in their mind, they're thinking, okay, I'm, I'm on the edge of the pool. I want to go swimming. I want to be in that water. I trust Dad. But man, this feels safe. This feels secure. I don't really know. If I hit that water, am I going to go under? If I go under, will I come back up? If I go under, you know, am I going to drown? And they're double-minded. On one hand, they want that security and the safety of what that deck is providing, but on the other hand, they kind of want to go swimming. They see everybody else, they see their friends or their siblings or or you swimming and having fun and jumping in and doing cannonballs and it's a blast and they kind of want that and they're going back and forth and they're double-minded. James says, don't be double-minded in the life, the the life of your pool, and think about, okay, here's what I want, but I also want this. I want to trust God, but I also don't believe he'll do it. I want to trust God and believe He'll give me wisdom. I want to trust God and know that, that He is good, but also, I'm not sure if He is good. James says, "Don't be like that double-minded person." So last reality check is, my responses reveal the quality of my faith. As we encounter trials and you will, it's going to evaluate your faith. And so as a follower of Jesus, you and I get to respond to those trials, to those difficulties in such a way that that the world looks at what's happening in your life, in my life, and they go, wow, if that was me, I would have lost my mind already. If that was me, I would have left already. If that was me, I would have given up. If that was me, I would have called it quits. And they look at you, and they see your perseverance. They see you walking by faith, not having all of the answers, not having everything figured out, and they watch you. And they go, huh, what's different about them? What do they have that I have no idea about? Because how I respond, that reveals something. And James says that God will use those trials those difficulties, that chisel to test your faith. Not like an exam, but as, is this authentic? Is this the real deal? It doesn't mean you won't struggle. It doesn't mean you won't have doubts. I have doubts all the time. But in the, in the end, do we persevere? What do, what do we reveal is true about God in our response. Here's what Corey Ten Boom said. She said, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. Sometimes life gets dark. It doesn't seem like the end is in sight doesn't seem like the the light at the end of the tunnel is even remotely close. Do you trust the engineer? Do you trust the one who created the entire universe, who holds the universe in his hand and says, I've got you? Because God is doing an incredible work in your life and he doesn't make junk. He makes incredible things and he's continuing to work in you. Sometimes chiseling, sometimes smoothing, sometimes sanding, and he's doing a great work in your life. The question is, do you trust the engineer? As we go through trials, and we will, the question is, do we trust that engineer? Take a quick look at Hebrews chapter 2 with me. It talks about how Jesus suffered, and the reality is we should look at his example The reality is we should look at all the examples of the people in the Bible because truth is, out of all the people in the Bible who grew spiritually, who continued to become more like God, all went through trials. Moses, David, Joseph, Job, Ruth, Naomi, all the disciples, and Jesus all suffered. Here's what Hebrews says. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by grace, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation, perfect through what he suffered. Jesus suffered. He went through all of these trials. He was was beaten. He was hung and crucified on a cross for your sins and for my sins. People followed him, and then they turned their backs on him. And as Jesus suffered, he didn't complain. He didn't whine, but he committed himself to God. He committed himself to what the plan was. He didn't escape. He could have ran away. He could have said, it's not for me. But he embraced the suffering. Jesus didn't resist, but he rested in God's plan because he knew that his suffering was leading to something greater. As Jesus suffered and died on the cross, that made forgiveness possible for you and I. Had he not suffered, had he not embraced it, had he not gone through it, forgiveness for you and me wouldn't even be on the table. And Jesus suffered. He shows us that example. I know trials come in all shapes and sizes, but I want you to see that you can consider it pure joy when you go through trials because God is doing a work in your life. He's using that to shape you, to mold you. Sometimes chiseling things away. Sometimes it feels like a hammer over and over and over again. Here's three things I want to challenge you with. Like Jesus, resolve to not complain, but commit. Not to escape, but embrace. And not to resist, but to rest. This week, Look for opportunities. Catch yourself. Am I complaining right now? (laughs) When I find myself complaining, I need to decide I'm going to commit to doing the next right thing. I'm just not going to complain. Not at work, not at home, not at school, not with my friends. This week, we're not complaining. I'm not going to try to escape it. I'm not going to run from it. I'm not going to try to wiggle myself out of it But I'm going to lean into it. I'm going to embrace it. Go, okay, somehow, someway, God is going to use this in my life. I don't know how. I don't know what. But I'm going to lean into it. Don't resist it. But rest in who God is. Rest in his character. Because he is the ultimate engineer who is doing all things, working all those things for good. To conform you, to shape you to the image of Jesus. Trials will come, but you and I, we should consider it all joy because God is good. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, we are amazed you continue to do a new work in our lives. You continue to change people's lives. You continue to use trials and discomfort and hardships. God, I just, I know that there are people here today who are going through some really hard difficulties. They don't make sense. It seems like it will never get better. And then James says, consider it pure joy that flies in the face of everything we've ever heard or ever experienced. But God, your word says... If we lean into this trial and recognize that you are doing a great work, you will use it to shape us, to mold us. I pray that as we go today, you would do just that. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing